Hello everyone, and welcome. My name is Will Soul, and this is Kick Rocks. This is the first episode of the podcast titled Memento Mori, about my personal philosophy on life and what life means to me. Not only that, but some interesting philosophical thoughts I have come across as of late. I will begin this podcast with some suggestions of things to read and listen to if you like this stuff. Now, you might be wondering, is this going to be a philosophy podcast? And the immediate answer is kind of. Granted, every episode won't be exclusively about these kinds of topics, but the first one is. I'll have guests on to talk in future episodes, and we will talk about practically anything. I'd like to provide a warning that politics is one of those things. I encourage those who disagree with me or my friends' opinions just to hear us out and reflect on how that clashes or blends with your own beliefs. Okay, enough with the boring stuff. Let's begin by talking about the name of the podcast. What is memento mori? Or rather, what does it mean? It is a Latin phrase that translates to the reminder of death, or directly remember death. Now why would I have that as the name of this episode about my outlook on life? That's a good question. Death is a powerful reminder of the life that we have. As we all know, we don't have very long on this earth. Eighty years to a human may seem long, but how many of those 29,200 days do we waste focusing on realities that are dead or don't yet exist? I know I've wasted many already, and I'm a quarter of the way done. There are so many things that I want to do in my life, and sometimes it feels like I have so little time. I remind myself that all I have is right now, and that's it. I don't have tomorrow yet. I lost yesterday, but I have right now. I'm being redundant to drive the point of being present and mindful of your time. Diving into life and death, this relationship is a dichotomy. A dichotomy is an opposite representation between two words, life and death, up and down, good and evil. These structures that humans created, yes, created, I'll be getting into that, are nothing but convenient labels to make our chaotic world make just a little bit more sense. Allow me to make a bold assertion. None of these dichotomies exist. There is no objectivity. Life and death just are. We are life experiencing a human, and when our physical bodies die, in quotations, we go back into the universe's energy. Life flows through many different bodies, experiencing itself through all different media. To touch on up and down, if you go a million light years into space, which way is up? Which way is down? How would you know? Touching on good and evil, they are moral constructions of the human mind to structure and label things. There is no good or evil, there just is. Granted, I subject my own morals onto the world we perceive, and just like most people, I think cancer is evil. But in a world without us, it's just a part of life. It just is. So when I think of death, while it is sad, when I depart from this earth, I will welcome it with open arms as an old friend, accepting that I and everyone I know will someday die has brought me a sort of clarity that I could never hope to explain. It makes living easier acknowledging the fact that it is temporary. I want to die a man with memories, not dreams or regrets. To do that, I accept reality on reality's terms. I will die someday. Here's another interesting claim. Anything that you cannot perceive right now is effectively dead. Rather, they don't exist to you. Obviously, they still live, but to you, they don't. Let's take that a little bit further and ask the question, can this be applied to myself? Why, yes, it can. 
Every time you go to sleep, your perception of this world ceases to exist, and by the same logic, you are dead. Now one step further. I was listening to a podcast called Natura Naturans, and it's episode about the basilisk. Now I won't go into the basilisk itself, because it can cause some existential anxiety due to it being an informational hazard, but they also talked about some interesting things pertaining to what I'm talking about. They were basically my influence for this specific section. The host of the podcast claimed that we die every instance that passes. The will from five seconds ago is dead. I am just a reconstituted version of him. We are constantly ceasing to exist and being reconstituted as time goes on. Now this might seem like a massive overcomplication to what living is, but to me, it's a reminder of presence. I am always ceasing to exist. At any moment, I could choose to completely reinvent myself. It gives me a sense of freedom to be who I want to be and not let others' opinions scare me away from that. All I have is right now. Pretty heavy intro to the first episode, but I feel as though it is crucial to sit with these realities and ponder what they mean to us in our own lives. Another important item I would like to discuss is the structures we live in. If you like more on this topic, I highly recommend listening to the podcast Philosophize This by Stephen West on Structuralism. Episodes 115 through 120 talk much more in-depth about this topic, but I will try to summarize it into one. In the mid to late 19th century, many people were enveloped with existentialism and were trying to figure life's most daunting questions from the frame that we are individuals of pure freedom and consciousness. Now around that time, a man named Ferdinand de Saussure came along and would revolutionize thought. He was a Swiss linguist who created the field of semiotics, or the study of signs. For all intents and purposes, from now on, signs can be thought of as words. He thought of how limited the use of language is and how confined it seems. He proposed that the only reason a sign has any meaning is because it is not all other signs in a structure. The word cow means nothing as a standalone. It only means the four-legged bovine creature we all know because it is not the word cat or dog or car or blue. All of these words are the same. It identified an underlying structure in something that I am using right now to communicate with all of you. And when he took a step back, he noticed that structuralism can be applied to everything. From science, economics, psychology, culture, religion, everything, including itself. The reason this messes with the thought of the time is that it suggests that, as a quote, individuals, end quote, uh, we are but single instantiations of a culture that we were born into. Us as individuals uh, got everything we used to define ourselves as individuals by the narrow confines of the culture we were born into. I am only me because of the family I was born into, in the country that I was born into, in the time period I was born into. This strips existentialism by removing the notion of us being truly individual. All the goals, aspirations, character traits, and many other things were just presented to us by a culture, and we took those things and ran. According to structuralism, all the thoughts we can have are through the narrow lens that our culture gives to us. It's a strange concept to think that you are not truly an individual. I mean, to believe in that, you are counterculture or individualized, means that you have to recognize that there is a culture that you already cannot distance yourself from. You're participating in a subculture of the culture that already exists. Now why am I bring, bringing this seemingly hopeless idea to the page? Because it presents the idea of being able to be whoever you want, within the confines of the culture, of course. It gives me a sense of freedom in a way. 
I won't be able to know what is outside of culture, but I can embrace what I enjoy within it while being cognizant of the culture that surrounds me. Okay, a lot of stuff to think about. I really have been trying to script this podcast for well over a month now, and it has been rough. I get hung up on time limits and things to talk about, so I'm just going to talk about things until I run out, and that's the time that the first episode will be. And I'll be okay with that. A bit of a breakthrough in my writing came from a trip I took with a friend of mine to Montana and Washington State. We began our trip by driving for far too long on Interstate 94 to get to Montana. The road conditions driving there were pretty good considering it was the middle of winter. And the morning after we arrived, we were greeted by a beautiful mountain, an incredible amount of snow, and very brisk weather. Spending time there was really wonderful. I got to see some friends who I miss dearly and got to experience what it was like to run at high elevations, something I've never done before. One of my favorite philosopher madmen, Friedrich Nietzsche, talks about how suffering is one of the tools us as humans can use to become better individuals. That same idea can be applied to exercise. Running through the woods with over a foot of snow is a very arduous workout, to say the least. Constantly gasping for air, I realized how different a few thousand feet in elevation can really wind a person. Persevering through the pain, though, I felt accomplishment and satisfaction. Albeit, I could have pushed myself more. It was a good start. I agree with Nietzsche when he says that suffering is the way to become a better person. Granted, this is not the case for everyone, but for me personally it is. I am self-aware of the issue or conflict at hand. I can find ways to better myself through the strife. To build on this, let's finish our journey to Washington. Driving from Montana was beautiful. I mean spectacular. The towering tops of mountains throughout western Montana and northern Idaho were serene. The roads were much worse, though especially once we neared Seattle. Passing over the Puget Sound on a ferry from the Port of Edmonds to Kingston was an interesting experience. It was night, and looking out into the void at the front of the boat seemed comforting. We drove to a campsite and went to sleep. The following morning, we headed out to our desired backpacking location at the Ho Rainforest. We drove through Forks, Washington, Twilight fans will know, to get to one of the most captivating locations I have ever seen. Approaching the entrance station to the rainforest, we noticed a tree had fallen down. We decided to get out of our car and saw a portion of it off so we could pass. After completing this task, we ran into an even larger tree that had completely obscured the road. We had to use a machete and a small hatchet to clear half of this behemoth, and two others to help us push it off the road. Completing the logging, I felt a sense of accomplishment and pride for what my friend and I did. We helped several others get into the rainforest. And the phrase, everything will work out, even if it doesn't go your way, echoed through the car as we continued deeper into the forest. We parked the car, packed our bags, quite lightly, and headed off to the trail. It was about three or four when we left, and we had decided to fast for as long as we could. This idea of fasting stems back to the notion of suffering. We can choose how we suffer. The mental fortitude that fasting offers was appealing to me, and therefore I did it. For almost two days, I didn't eat anything. After a while, you lose the desire to eat, and you aren't crippled by hunger. One can perform quite normally during fasting. I mean, if it's been a tradition for thousands of years to fast, of course one can function. This was a phenomenon I had never really experienced, but I enjoyed it. Especially the notion of strengthening yourself through mental taxation. Very interesting experience. Another thing I felt during this trip was childlike wonder. Nietzsche talks about the overman in his writings. 
the overman, for context, is the human equivalent of what we are to monkeys, or apes. The overman, to Nietzsche, is an unattainable state of being that everyone should strive to achieve. Everyone is born as a camel, a beast of burden carrying the weight of others in the desert, being told what to do at every step. Once you shed the baggage and say no to those demands, you become a lion. A lion is the master of his or her own desert. They say no to everything. No, this isn't good enough. It's not bloody enough. It's not anything. But things change when the lion realizes that saying no isn't all there is to life. A lion can say yes, but on its own accord, because it wants to. The lion transforms into the child, then. The child experiences life as it once did, as we all once did. With splendor, wonder, and joy at life itself. I felt something quite similar to this in Washington. Waking up to the sun tickling the treetops on the foothills of Mount Olympus in Washington offered me a sense of peace. Listening to the river babble nearby and seeing the clarity of the water offered me joy in perceiving my own senses. I went for a walk to experience these feelings and then felt at peace, content, wonder, bewilderment. Walking back to our camp, I wrote a poem even. The poem reads, The mountains eclipse the sun in the morning, but it always rises to retake its throne in the highest point of the sky, only to return to the depths of which it came. However you find meaning in that poem, I would love to hear it. I think it has to do with the changing of the guard, so to speak, in terms of emotions. I like to view it as follows. The sun represents happiness, the night sadness, and the mountains are whatever stands in your way in pursuit of happiness. Some days the mountains obscure them, and other days the sun shines. We all know the sun must go away. This is the way of life. Day and night. Cycles of happiness and sadness. But I digress. I just recently finished hiking with Nietzsche that I began in Washington, and the ending had a really profound effect on my life. Not to spoil for anyone, but the author, John Cagg, talks about the pursuit of finding out who you are. Seeking your true self is but an illusion. You cannot find the epitome of what it means to be you somewhere out in the world or in the ether. It comes from within. Becoming your true self is what we should strive for every day. Overcoming suffering in order to ask life's most difficult questions from a different perspective. If you obsessively seek, you will not ever find what you are looking for. Sit and reflect. You already know what you want. Now act on it. Become who you are meant to be. I look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.